We're continuing with our series called The Good Life. Look at your neighbor and say, you live in the good life? Yeah, we're talking about the life that Jesus promised to us. Watch this. Jesus promised us a life on the planet while we're waiting for him to return. Okay? And that's what this series has been all about. So last week, if you weren't here, you can go and listen to it at oscconnect.com or you can download our app and listen to the previous message. It was the opening message for the series last week. And, it, and the reason you really need to listen to it is because I took a little extra time to set up what the series is going to be about. Here's our key verse for the series. In John chapter 10, verse 9 to 11, Jesus says some pretty profound things. And he, says, he starts by this. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find, say it with me, good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So Jesus makes two claims about himself in these verses. Number one, he says, I'm the gate. The only way to ever live the good life that we're talking about is to enter into it through the gate called Jesus. You can be as rich as Jeff Bezos. You can be as rich and wealthy and prosperous as Elon Musk and still not live the good life. I'm here to tell you today, you can make $30,000 a year and still live the good life if you go through the gate called Jesus. That's the secret. Just get through the gate called Jesus and you get good life. Doesn't mean that it's life without problems. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have some issues. We're going to get into all that today. You're going to have some struggles. But it's still a good life. I'm here to tell you, struggles with Jesus is better than riches with no problems. So Jesus says, I'm the gate. The only way into this good life is through me. That means this, simply it means this, that, that in order to receive the good life that Jesus promises for us and promises to us is to enter through him, which means this, to come through Jesus means to be born again. It means to give your life to Christ. I just want to make sure that we all understand that today. Once you give your life to Christ as you're, and you accept the fact of what he did on the cross, paid for our sins, like John talked about this morning, he paid for our sins. We're not guilty anymore. Come on. We're now restored into a relationship with the Father that we didn't have before. And then we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. That's being born again. So Jesus says, I'm the gate. So the only way to live the good life is to go through the gate called Jesus, which means to simply enter into a relationship with Jesus. The second thing Jesus says is that he's the good shepherd. Notice he said he's the good shepherd and not just a shepherd. <laughs> he's the one who cares and protects the sheep. An enemy would have to get through him to get to the sheep. He would also be the one responsible for leading the sheep into good pastures. How many of you know Jesus has a watchful eye? And he never slumbers. So Jesus tells us he's the gate, then he tells us that he's the good shepherd. So you don't just enter into a relationship with him one time, you enter into a relationship with him from now on. Come on, can you, can you see that transition? It wasn't a one-time transaction I made with Jesus and now he paid my debts and I'm a hallelujah and go do my own thing. No, I get to, 
I get to walk with him from now on. I've been given a relationship with him that I get to enjoy. So Jesus tells us that the enemy comes and he has one purpose. And his purpose, simply put, is to take your life. He just wants to take your life. The enemy wants to take your life. He has nothing good for you. So don't play with him. He said this, that that Satan wants to steal. Watch this. You got to understand the language here. Steal and kill and destroy. He wants to do all of that to you, not just one or the other. He wants to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he wants. But Jesus told us what he wanted, told us what his purpose is for us, and then he also told us what his purpose is for us. He said, the enemy comes to take life. I come, and my purpose is to give you life. So Satan is to take, and Jesus is to give. Do you see the difference? Oh, my gosh. Satan wants to take your joy. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take your love. He wants to take all this from you, but Jesus just wants to give it to you. He says, I come to give you a rich and satisfying life. Let me help you understand that that life that he's talking about because I don't want you to get confused with what the world says this life is supposed to be like. Because I think some of us in the room this morning have got a little bit of, we got a little bit of Kool-Aid in this thing. We got, we got a little bit of, somebody sprinkled some Kool-Aid in this whole life we're supposed to live. And now we think we got a little mixture of the world mixed in with what Jesus says. And so we're, we're Christians and we go to church, but we still got some world in the Kool-Aid. Come on. It ain't clear. It's red. We got a little world mixed in, so, so, we, so we're trying to live this life that Jesus has for us, but we got some world life, some world definition of life mixed in with it, and then we end up confused and things don't work like they should. So why don't we just take a minute and define what this life is really about? Amen? So that word life is the Greek word zoe. It means this. It means to have life in the absolute sense. Listen to this. It means life as God has it. I I just had to stop because it caught me off guard too. It means to have life as God has it. It means to have the life, the, the same life which the father has in himself and the same life that he gave to his son. So the life that Jesus is promising us is the same life that he himself has. This life is the present possession of the believer because of his relationship with Jesus. So you got to get this today. This life he's talking about is not just reserved for heaven. Don't make me camp out right here. I better get a few more amens than that. It's not just reserved for heaven. That life is intended for us today. The minute you give yourself to Jesus, you walk through the gate, you walk into the good life. It's the present possession of the believer because of his relationship with Jesus. Now, this life that we're talking about, this Zoe life, it has some moral associations with it. 
In other words, there's some moral things that come along with this life. There's two things. It's holiness and righteousness. Those are church words that some people don't like to hear. But let me tell you something. If God said them, then we need to do them. Amen? So there's some moral things that come in this life. It's holiness, which means this, to be set apart from the world for God's purpose. Like, I'm not going to indulge in the world anymore. I'm going to set myself apart because now I've become a special vessel, and I'm here for God's purpose, not to, not to serve the world's purposes. Holiness. And then Righteousness. Which means to make right decisions. Can I just simply put it that way? It's to make the right choices. (laughs) It has some moral things in it. So watch this. John 3.16 is a very popular verse. You might see it on the football game you watch today. But uh, do they even still do that? I don't think so. Somebody does. The saints do it, I'm sure. (laughs) They might need it. (laughs) John John 3.16 is a great verse, but listen to John 3.15. So that everyone, say everyone, who believes in him will have eternal life. That's the life we're talking about. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. You see, the life we're talking about, you're going to have to receive it. You don't go and work for it. You don't strive for it. Jesus gives it. You receive it. And then you enjoy it. Some of you don't have joy in your life because you're not enjoying the good life that God has for you. Still got a little bit too much in the drink. The drink's a little too red. It got too much Kool-Aid in the drink. You got too much of the world's opinion mixed in with God's purpose. And so you can't enjoy the life that you're called to enjoy. So we receive it and then we we enjoy it by faith. In fact, it started by faith. So what do we do about this faith thing? The title of my message today is Jesus Gives Us Faith. Last week was Jesus Gives Us Hope. So we're hopeful, our hope-filled people. Jesus gives us faith. What are we going to do about this faith thing? Because as far as I can see it, the, the, the topic of faith has, has been abused a little bit because you got all kinds of camps in the church that believe certain things about faith. you got your hyper-faith people all the way down to your no-faith people and anything in between. And so if you're not careful as a new believer and even, even a more mature Christian, if you're not studying this on your own, you're going to hear all these different messages on faith, and then faith is going to get twisted, and it's going to get a little bit skewed, and it's going to become unclear. And then when something bad happens, the enemy's going to walk into the middle of your confusion and drop a seed that says, well, you didn't have enough faith. So why not make it clear? Because the last time I checked, Jesus is not the author of confusion. And if you're confused, it's not necessarily because the enemy has confused you. It's just simply because you didn't keep exploring what you were supposed to explore. Remember when Jesus says, knock and it will be given to you? Ask and you receive. Then what does he say? Seek 
and you will find the good life is not a life of confusion. It's a life of clarity. If you're not clear on some things, meh, dig into it. Phone a friend, a godly friend. (laughs) Just clarifying. I, I sometimes wrestle with things that aren't clear to me. I, I'm, I'm not clear on everything. Um, some of my closest friends will tell you, I'll call sometimes. If I'm wrestling with a, a, a quiet time or I'm wrestling with a sermon prep, and I, don't, I, don't, I just can't sink my teeth into something, there's this burden inside of me that has to be right. It just has to be right and it has to be clear and it has to be accurate. And so sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's a little shady, and I just can't quite understand. And so, I, what I this is what I normally do. I'm just telling you, so maybe you it'll help. I don't know. Maybe it'll help somebody. What I normally do is I dig harder. But before I start digging harder, I back up and I say, "Holy Spirit, I don't understand this right here. I know that you're the teacher. I know that you can make this clear to me." Help me to understand. Then I go after it. I'm not just going to sit around and wait for it. I'm going to go dig into it. I'm going to study the Greek. I'm going to listen to some commentaries. I'm going to do all that. If it's still muddy, sometimes I'll call some friends who are spiritually mature and they read their Bible. And I'll say, hey, let me wrestle something out with you real quick. So just listen to what I have to say. And then I'll give you a chance to give me some input. This is my wrestle. I'm thinking God's doing this and this and this and that, and then this just isn't clicking right, and I just I don't I can't see the connection here and there, and I'm going ah, and then they I give them a chance, to, and God's spoken through my friends before to help make things clear, because the good life is not a cloudy life; it's a clear life. There's no confusion with Jesus. And he didn't make it too hard for us to understand. That in itself is a lie from Satan. Well, I wasn't good in school, and I can't read, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. When are you going to stop rehearsing what the devil's told you? You're born by the blood of God. You have the mind of Christ. You were dead. When you couldn't understand, you were dead. But now that you're alive, you have understanding. Jesus gives us understanding. Come on, somebody. So we don't have to stay in confusion anymore. Did I beat that horse dead enough? <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I can't give you everything on faith today. Uh, but I'm going to give you, I think, is what is enough to make it clear for you. And I want to encourage you. To dig into it yourself. Don't Google it. <laughs> Grab your Bible. <laughs> Knock the dust off. Open it up. They got, a, they got an index. They got all kind of stuff. They got words in the back. They got references. They got all kind of stuff in your Bible. If you just explore it a little bit and go dig in your Bible for yourself. Okay. I want to answer a couple of questions. Number one, where does my faith come from? Where does it come from? Were you born with it? Does it just magically appear? Does it bubble up inside of you after you eat pizza? Like, where does my faith come from? 
I think that's a good question. I think it's a very honest question. Where does your faith come from? Somebody may even ask you that question tomorrow. Where does my faith come from? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, watch what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Listen how he describes Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Who is Jesus? He's the one who initiates and perfects our faith. Some translations say he's the author and perfecter of our faith. You with me? If you're the author, you designed it, you created it, and then you wrote it out. If you're the initiator, you're the one who started it. If you're the perfecter, that means you're going to journey along with it until it's perfect. That was good stuff. I don't care what you say. I mean, I'm just telling you right now, that was good. Like, that was filet mignon, Shad. What I just gave you right there was filet mignon. Jesus initiates it, and then he perfects it. Does that take a little bit of pressure off of you for faith? My God in heaven, it should take a little bit of pressure off of you. You don't have to strain as hard now. Jesus never said to strain your way to a miracle. <laughs> he started it. <laughs> and he's perfecting it. I realize I literally came to Jesus with nothing. Absolutely nothing. Even the faith I had came from him. So when I met Jesus at 12 years old at the ABC camp after I was chasing girls all day and I got into a worship service and the Lord touched my heart and I gave my life to Jesus, I still came to him with nothing. Like literally nothing. I can't take an ounce of credit for my salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Let me read that part again. For by grace. How were you saved? By grace. Let's get that crystal clear this morning. You were saved by grace. Through the avenue or the channel of faith, that not of yourselves. You see it? So how were you saved? By grace. Through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves, here it is. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. None of us can boast in our own salvation. Not a single one of us. It is a gift of God. The grace we receive is a gift of God. The faith we have is a gift from God. And salvation is a gift from God. It's all a gift from God. I didn't bring anything to the table. I showed up with nothing. And I can't take credit for it. 
I mean, why would Jesus die on the cross and then, and then share the credit with me? It was him. We'll get into that in just a little bit more in the next couple of points. All I did was believe and confess. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But you were saved by grace through the avenue or the channel of faith. Just trying to get something in you this morning. Because you need to know where your faith comes from and where it does not come from. Because if you, if, you, if you believe the lie that your faith comes from with inside of you, then you're going to struggle with faith. And when it don't work, you're going to struggle to continue to live and believe. Okay. So where does my faith come from? It comes from Jesus. Number two, how do I receive it? How do I receive faith? You receive it by hearing. So faith comes from hearing, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Now, that, that this, this verse is specific about the good news of Christ. Well, what is that? Just to clarify today, what is the good news about Christ? The good news about Christ is the story of what Christ did so that my sins could be washed away, my relationship with God could be restored, and that I could spend eternity in heaven one day, not eternity in hell. They're both eternal. <laughs> in other words, it's the story of what Jesus did, and when I accepted it, my name was written in his book, and when they're going to read the book later on, they're going to call my name. That's good news to me. I don't want to be the guy that goes left if the heaven's right. Come on, somebody. Like, enter to the left. No, I ain't going left. <laughs> so you see, the good news, watch this now, the good news itself, the story of Christ, has a faith component built into it. So when you hear the good news, there's faith in it. That's what happened when you got saved. Because none of you showed up with a bucket load of faith and said, I just need to meet Jesus today. Where is Jesus? Somebody tell me where Jesus is. I got my faith. I'm ready to receive. None of you did that. He caught you when you was least expected. And you heard the good news about him and something inside of you brewed up and you went, oh, I believe this. That's if you believe he's the author and perfecter of your faith. So you can receive faith by listening to a sermon on Jesus. You can receive faith by reading your Bible, the good news. But whenever the gospel is preached, there is always a potential for faith. People, listen to me today. That's why we need to be sharing the good news with folks in the community. I was really hoping for some better amens than that. But that's all right. You don't have to say amen as long as you go do it. <laughs> so if you said amen, that means you ain't going to do it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Let's not do that. Hmm. So faith doesn't just bubble up inside of you one day. It's given to you by the mouth of God. 
Sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, it's through the Bible. Sometimes, it's through his spoken word, spoken to you in a moment. Because my sheep hear my voice. Sheeps, sheeps have two ears. So they can hear real good. Sheepses. You know what I'm saying? Sheepses. They have two ears. Their ears do like this so they can hear everything going on around. My sheepses hear my voice. Just trying to help you remember that. That's all. Just being a little facetious. So how do you receive it? You receive it by hearing it. How's the world going to receive it? By hearing it. A quiet church never saves the world. So number one, where does my faith come from? Number two, how do we receive it? Number three, can I ask for more? Can I ask for more faith? <laughs> Absolutely. Watch John chapter 9, verse 24. Let me set it up real quick. Jesus, Peter, James, and John are up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They just had that incredible moment. Jesus says, don't tell nobody until I've been lifted up. And they're coming down the mountain, and there's a little bit of a ruckus down there with the disciples. And Jesus walks into the moment, and he realizes the disciples are kind of arguing because this, this demon-possessed kid who every time the demon would, 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 would stir things up in his life, the kid would go have epileptic seizures and... And that was the result of the demon possession. And, and the father had brought his son to the disciples. He thought Jesus was there. So he brought his son to Jesus to heal him or to set him free or to deliver him. And the father brings him. But Jesus wasn't there. He was up on the mountain transfiguring. But he comes down and the disciples can't change anything. And Jesus goes, oh, ye a little faith. Right? <laughs> How long must I put up with you? <laughs> you got to be careful how you read your scriptures because you can always understand faith that way if you're not careful. Like Jesus is always mad at us because we don't have enough faith. Listen to what the father says. The father goes up to Jesus and says, can you heal him? Jesus says, what do you mean can I heal him, cuz? He says, anything's possible for him who believes. Verse 24, the father instantly cried out. Watch this. I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. What was his issue? His issue wasn't believing. His issue was he was carrying too much unbelief. Ah, you see, because if he didn't believe that Jesus could heal his son, he would have never brought his son to Jesus in the first place. He must have had some faith to bring his son to Jesus to deliver him. But when he got there and the disciples couldn't deliver him, Jesus shows up. He goes, would you deliver my boy? And Jesus says, anything's possible for him who believes. He says, I believe. But help me with my unbelief. Oh, my gosh. This is one of the. This is so powerful. I think, I, I really think the father does something in this story that can transform every person in this room today. Let me show you what he did. He put down his pride. He put down what other people thought about him. He got totally, brutally honest with God about where he was. And he got real. Do you know it's okay to say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief? It's okay to recognize that you have some unbelief in your life. 
In fact, until you recognize it and are humble enough to admit it, Jesus really can't do a whole lot with it. Come on, somebody. you got to humble yourself and say, you know what? I just don't have it. I don't have it all right now. I'm here. I believe enough to get here, but I don't have enough for it to happen. Can you help me? Can you help me? A prideful person never asks for help. A prideful person pretends they have enough. And then when God doesn't move, you got to make excuses why he didn't move. And then the whole faith topic gets twisted because somebody didn't want to get real. Can I, can I be honest with you this morning? Like, like there's some areas that I've got great faith for. But there's some other areas, ah, I need some growth. I got some money, but I believe Jesus can do anything, okay? But there's some things, some situations, and some topics that I just go, I'm carrying a little bit too much unbelief with these things. Jesus, would you help me with my unbelief? So instead of faking and fronting, he came out. He came out the closet. And he asked for more. Go with me to Luke 22. I want to show you how Jesus prayed for, for Peter before Peter was Peter. Luke chapter 22, verse 32. Jesus had just told him that Satan had been trying to sift him. <laughs> Watch how Jesus responds to telling Peter, Satan's been trying to sift you, bruh. But I, listen, this is Jesus, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. And when you come through this thing, I want you to turn around and strengthen your brothers too. Like when Jesus strengthens your faith, you're to turn around and strengthen others too. Come on, somebody. We're the family of God. We're the church, capital C Church. We should be for one another and not against one another. I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Golly. You know what that tells me? Jesus is on my side. <laughs> Jesus is on my side. That tells me that Jesus is watching my faith. That means he knows what's coming down the road for me. And he's praying for me. <gasps> when people won't pray for you, just remember Jesus is praying for you. I'll get you some of that, devil. It seems to me that Jesus is fully aware that we will all struggle with faith at times. Hear this. He is not mad because you're struggling with your faith. He's not mad. He's a little upset when you stay struggling, though. Because you don't have to struggle the rest of your life. 
You're going to have to own it a little bit. You want to know why we go through the same problems? Time and time and time and time again? Because Jesus is trying to help you pass the test. So when you go through trials and you go through problems, we learned this last week, they're a blessing to us. Not only does your hope become confident, but that's the ground that your faith begins to grow and get stronger. So when you go through some troubles and some trials and it don't come out like you think it should have came out and you find yourself going through the same thing again, light bulb moment, maybe I need some more hope, maybe I need some more faith to get through this. And maybe that's what this is all about. Maybe it's less about my feelings and more about what Jesus is trying to get into me. And then once you got it, Jesus said, turn around and strengthen somebody else. We all have days where we don't feel very strong, don't we? Maybe those are the days where we need somebody else to come along and help strengthen us. Now, the others aren't my source, but they are some help along the way. Jesus designed it that way. Say, bon? So can you ask for more? Absolutely you can ask for more. You need to know that Jesus is praying for your faith to be strengthened. Number four. <laughs> Does the size of my faith matter? I think that's a really good question. Does the size of my faith matter, Pastor? Does the size really matter? Go with me to Luke chapter 17. In chapter 17, verses 1 to 4, Jesus is talking to the apostles about relationships and forgiveness. And he's, he's given them a pretty strong message in four verses about forgiveness and relationships. And in verse 5, the apostles ask a very important question. Or they make a very important statement. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Listen to Jesus' response. Remember, we're talking about the size of your faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. He's talking about a mustard seed. If I held a mustard seed in my, between my index finger and my thumb right now and tried to show you, none of you could see it. And it's not just because I got fat fingers. It's that small. A mustard seed is extremely tiny. 
So Jesus is saying, if you have that much faith, like a mustard seed, if you have that size faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, not cut down, uprooted and replanted in the sea. Now, the mustard seed is the smallest, one of the smallest seeds there is. You could, like, literally, you could not see it. How many of you have ever seen a mustard seed in person? Okay. <laughs> They're tiny. A mulberry tree can get rather large, but a mulberry tree is known for its root system. The root system of a mulberry tree could wreck the foundation of your house if it's planted too close. The root system on a mulberry tree could last up to 600 years. They're extremely difficult to dig up because their root system is so invasive. It goes everywhere. It'll run out other trees. The root system of a mulberry tree will take over if you let it. Jesus said, if, you're, if the size of your faith is but a mustard seed, you can take your little bitty old faith and tell this mulberry tree with all its fabulous root system to be uprooted. And then replanted in the sea. With that much. The reason I'm telling you this is because the devil and some confused believers told you that unless your faith is enormous, you're not going to see God move. When Jesus said the total opposite. Now don't get me wrong. God gets really impressed by our faith. He loves to see people operate in faith. Come on. So I'm not saying you need to be satisfied with mustard seed faith. I'm saying today, if all you got is a mustard seed, then you got more than enough to uproot a mulberry tree. So the thing that's been invasive in your life the thing that's wrecking the foundation of your life, the root system that is demonic and is stirring up your life can move today if you got that much faith. And you'll never know if you got that much faith until you apply it to the situation. So the thing the enemy's trying to uproot your life with needs to be spoken to. It needs to be dealt with. Don't get satisfied with a broken foundation. Dig that sucker up. But it's hard. Is it really? Is it really? Because if you believe it's hard, then you believe that you're the author and perfecter of your faith. Ah, y'all didn't hear what I'm saying. Listen to what Jesus said. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted. Get out of there. You know my weeks sometime, my days sometime, 
I think if people would sit close enough to me, they would think I'm crazy. Because yeah. <laughs> I'd just be talking. I'm serious. Like if I'm walking along and the enemy's trying to whisper some insecurities in my mind, and I'm ready that morning, and I'm walking, I, I might back my truck up underneath the canopy right here and get ready to go into the office and do something. And I'll walk from the canopy to the office, and the enemy be trying to tell me something. And I'm walking across, and I'm telling you, the people that work the drive through line at the bank, they see more stuff than we know. Because <laughs> I'll be walking with my book bag. I'm like this. I'm going. I'll be walking. Got my keys in my hand. I'm like, you lying. I ain't playing that today. You lying. Uh-uh. Oh, no, sucker, not today. Ain't nobody got time for that. No, no, no. I'm born again. I'm a believer. I have the mind of Christ. I'm here on purpose. Today has purpose. It's not a wasted day. God's going to use me today. I'm anointed by God today, so shut up. What am I doing? I'm saying to the mulberry tree, you need to get up out of here. <laughs> Got to go. You're messing up my foundation. Come into church and sing Jesus, my, my firm foundation, and leave on Monday and everything's shaking. Oh, no, bro. You see, some people get overly sensitive about the size of your faith. And your faith is, is expected to grow. But remember, Jesus is the author and perfecter. So it's not the size of your faith, but rather the source of your faith. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, when ice skating, it is far better to have small faith on thick ice than great faith on thin ice. Our small faith placed in Jesus can accomplish great things. So it's okay to have small faith as long as Jesus is the source of your faith. But just remember, it's intended to grow. Y'all getting something? Number five. Now that I have faith, now that I've given my life to Jesus, I've walked through the gate called Jesus. I got some mustard-sized faith, mustard seed faith. (laughs) Sorry. Mustard seed size faith. There we go. What do I do with it? What do I do with my little bitty faith, Pastor? What do I do? If I put it in my pocket, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to go through the washing machine. If I tuck it away, I may never find it again. What do I do with my little bitty old piece of faith? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it to you from the message translation just because I like the way it says it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Listen, listen carefully. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. What? Did you hear that? Did y'all hear that? Take your every day, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walk around life, 
and place it before God as a what? Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So what do you do with your mustard seed faith? You exercise the bad boy. You feed him. You exercise him. You build up some muscles on him. Come on, he might be mustard seed today. He might be a watermelon tomorrow. Come on, somebody. You just need to exercise it. In your everyday walking around, you're eating, you're sleeping, your ordinary life, just exercise your faith. I think sometimes we only look for the big things to grow our faith. When Jesus is the total opposite of that. You just go every day with me. Give me your life. You know what he wants from you every day? It's for you just to offer your life to him and just to trust him. That's exercising your faith in itself. Just every day, Jesus, this is your life. I offer it to you today. Have your way with me. Now, that's a scary prayer. Oh, yeah, it sounds good in a sermon. But it's a little more shaky on Monday. Some days I pray that prayer, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, you know, I really like to do this this afternoon, but Jesus, you can have my day. But can we finish by five? <laughs> Come on, somebody. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I want to go hang out with my cows, Jesus. <laughs> so now that you have faith, you're expected to exercise it daily. And I want you to know you're probably exercising it more than you recognize. Just pay attention to what the source of your faith is. Because all of you exercised some faith this morning. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be brutally honest with me. Is there anyone in this room... That when you walked in here this morning, you looked at your chair and said, I wonder if that's going to hold me. Anybody? Okay, Christy's the only person. She's honest. I've had those thoughts before. We got some $8 chairs in, in OSC Kids. Every time I sit in them bad boys, I'm like, Lord Jesus, take the wheel. Hold the legs, Lord. Hold the legs. I'm like, Lord, just hold the legs, Lord. And then you get in those chairs and you don't wiggle too much. Come on, somebody. How many of you know I'm talking about them little black chairs? They stronger than you think. $8, though, baby, we got a deal. You're exercising a type of faith in that chair. Did you strain to sit in that chair? 
Some of you are like, no, I might strain to get up. Like, <laughs> the reason I'm saying that, I don't know I'm being funny, but the reason I'm saying that is because some of you, the enemy's convinced you that you're not exercising your faith. He's convinced you and lulled you to sleep that you, you think, I just go around every day just doing whatever I do. And if I need God, he's there, and I'll go find him. If I need faith, I'll go find it. If I need this, I'll go get it. But, like, and then he'll, he'll, he'll depress you with the wrong sermon and beat you down and make you think that you have no faith at all. So should we have large faith? I believe we should. I believe our faith should grow. I believe it should grow often. I do. Remember, Jesus told us what the enemy wants to do. Steal and kill and destroy. So don't let the enemy of your soul have what he wants. Use what you do have. <laughs> Y'all caught that? Just use what you got. Ain't nobody around here going, look, look at my size faith. Look at my size faith. Oh, your faith ain't nothing. Look at my size faith. Oh, my faith is this big. And you sitting over there in the corner, don't ask me how, size, how big my faith is. My faith's small. No, I'm serious. Like, I know people like that. Like, you get discouraged because your faith don't look like somebody else's. Stop comparing your faith to somebody else's. If you got a mustard seed, it'll dig up a mulberry tree. Be proud of that. I got some mustard seed faith, and that's where I'm starting today. And I ain't going to be discouraged. I'm going to be encouraged because Jesus is the author and the perfecter of my faith. And as long as I walk with him, my faith ain't going to stay the same. So I'm not going to sit here in boudet and hide and be embarrassed by my faith. Look at your name and say, take what you got, baby. No, y'all ain't saying that with the right attitude. Say it like this. Take what you got, baby, and use it. So faith is a gift. It doesn't have to be confusing, and it doesn't have to be difficult. And it doesn't have to be that hard. Listen, this good life is not that hard. It's, it's not a striving life, y'all. You just walk through the gate, and you enjoy it. You don't strive for it. And if there's anything you ever need to do, if there's any work that needs to be done, it comes out of a heart filled with the love of God that says he's given me the good life. I'll do anything he asks me to do. In fact, I love it so much, I'm going to go to him and say, can I do anything for you today? Because you've been so good to me. I'm not going and asking if he needs me to do something to please him or to win his approval. I've already got that. I'm in the gate. If I'm doing anything, it's because of 
what I've received because of the love that's in my heart, the things I do. And there's a big difference between doing something to get something than doing something because somebody did something. <laughs> a big difference. And, and the people on the receiving end can tell the difference. All right, I think that's all I got. Come on, Steve. Play something softly. <laughs> Set the mood, Steve. We need a little mood music. Come on, somebody. This ain't even a marriage series. Come on. <laughs> so I want you to remember it's a gift, and it comes when you walk through the gate called Jesus. And let me tell you this last thing. And then we're going to make a declaration together. Jesus always gives instructions with his gifts. You ever get a gift and there's no instructions and you're left confused? Let me ask you this question. You ever tried to put together a swing set and not use the instructions? Come on, somebody. My hands up. It was the dumbest thing I ever did. If Jesus gives a gift, or when Jesus gives a gift, he always places the instructions in the gift. So fear not, my people. He's given us the instructions. We don't have to live confused, and we don't have to live cloudy. Jesus gives us faith. So we're going to put Psalms 23 on the screens. And I want you to make this declaration with me today. You can, you can make it sitting down. Got it? Let's get to the first verse. There we go. Let's go together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? <laughs> Father, we thank you for today. Your words give life. You give life. You give it rich and satisfying. Lord, forgive us for striving so hard. The life that the world says we should have is a life of striving. The life that you say we can have or that we already have is a life of receiving. Lord, teach us how to receive and to not strive. God, I pray for some of us today that we'll go ahead and finish up the divorce papers with the world. It's not enough to just be separated. We need to go ahead on and finish up the divorce. 
And we need to come wholeheartedly into the kingdom and receive the life that you've promised us. The life that you gave us, Jesus, because you laid your life down for us. It's the good life. Help us to receive the good life that you promised to us today. And Lord, help us to be proud of our little mustard seed faith that that's what we got. But help us to exercise it and to watch it grow. And I'm so grateful that not only did you initiate my faith, but you're going to perfect my faith. I trust that and I rest in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord a big